Welcome to this podcast from Riverside Church Whitstable. We hope you find it helpful and encouraging. If you would like to find out more information about us, why not check out our website at riversideuk.org, our Facebook page, or follow us on Twitter at Whit Riverside. Okay, and thank you for doing that, Simon. Thank you. So much going on, isn't there? So much going on. It's fantastic. So we're sort of coming into land on our spirit-led series. Just a couple more weeks to do on this before we get into all the Christmas things. Um, have you enjoyed this series? Yeah. I've just been chatting to so many folks about how people are trying to embody this into their lives, and it's so encouraging. Do you have the lights up a little bit, guys? It's just, you know, I'll, I'll see your lovely faces. That's better. Okay. Last week, Jake did a great job. Uh, talking about uh, the story of Jesus turning the water into wine and the whole aspect of obedience being a choice and an action. And those servants who would have taken that cup of water trembling to the master of ceremonies and the miracle happens as they made that journey and uh, the water was turned into wine. And uh, Jake said that God's love language is obedience. God loves it when we step out and respond to what he says. Jesus says in John 15, if you love me, you'll obey my commands. And that's not a sense of a, sort of a heavy obedience, sort of an authoritarian thing. It's a sense of, if my heart's in you, you will do the sort of things that I do. You'll, you'll, you'll live like me. You'll, you'll, you'll respond to the leading of the Spirit. And uh, it's as we, as we make these little choices, these little starts, that God starts stories for us. And that's really, really important. And we look today at a story where someone started out just with the first bit of guidance from God, not knowing where that story would take them. And it's a story of a man called Philip. And Philip responds to a nudge from the Holy Spirit to go to a certain place at a certain time. Now, there's two Philips in the New Testament. We mentioned Philip a few weeks ago, the Philip who went to, uh, to Nathaniel and said, well, I've met the Messiah. And Nathaniel said, can anything good come out of Nazareth? And we talked about the whole thing about expectation. It's not that Philip, Okay. It's a different Philip. This Philip is first mentioned in Acts chapter 6, where uh, the apostles are struggling with the growing church and the compassion ministry and the feeding of widows and just ministries exploding. And they're saying, we need to start to delegate. We need to start to give away ministry. And they find some men full of the spirit and full of wisdom. And Philip is one of these men. And they get him and they pray for him and they commission him and they set him off into sort of early church Holy Spirit ministry. And so he's mentioned there in, uh, in Acts 6 in your Bibles. You read about him again in Acts chapter 8, when the church begins to face persecution and uh, people are scattered and Philip leaves Jerusalem and goes there. Things start to sort of really happen. So let's get this, this series kicked off again today. So am I on? I will be on the moment. Oh, I'm not on. Three, two, one, I'm on. There we go. So this whole section, these last few weeks of this series, is the thing about doing what God tells you. And so Philip goes down to Samaria, having been nudged by the Holy Spirit to go down there. And uh, you see him here in the book of Acts, in Acts 8. It says, Philip went down to the city in Samaria and proclaimed the Messiah there. And when the crowds heard Philip and saw the signs he performed, they paid close attention to what he said. For with shrieks, impure spirits came out of many, and many who were paralyzed or lame were healed. There was great joy 
in the city. Philip really encourages me because he's sort of a second generation believer. And what I mean by that, he's not part of the original 12 sort of apostles that were present when the early church was created. 13, if you count Paul. He was a second generation believer. He was commissioned by the initial apostles to go and do Holy Spirit ministry. So he's just like you and me. We're all second generation believers. I don't mean whether your parents are Christians or your grandparents are Christians. I mean, in a sense, we weren't part of that initial core of apostolic believers. We've all been commissioned subsequently by the Holy Spirit to go and do what we do. And what Philip was, he was full of spirit and full of wisdom. And I love that because he was naturally supernatural. He had God and he had common sense, which is a powerful combination. You rarely see it in the world these days, but it's a powerful combination. That was a small laugh there, everybody. No. Okay. You're all thinking, really? Okay. When we have the Spirit of God and when we have common sense and wisdom, and when those come together, you have a powerful combination. And Philip was a man full of the Spirit and full of wisdom. He was practical and he was spiritual, which is a powerful combination to bring transformation to people's lives. And we see in Acts chapter 8, he goes down to Samaria and he just begins to get on with the stuff. He begins to tell people about Jesus and he begins to pray for people and stuff happens. People get delivered from controlling spirits. People are healed. And it says the city is full of joy. Isn't that amazing? That inspires me as to what the church should be doing and how the church should be performing. The church should be bringing joy to cities and towns because of the activity of God through you and I. And the thing about Philip, he shows us that we can all do the same that he did. He wasn't special in the sense of being part of that initial 12 or 13 apostolic core that was there at the start of the church. He came along later. They laid hands on him, they commissioned him, and off he went to do the stuff. And we're going to pick Philip's story up in Acts chapter 8. So if you have your Bibles, you can look there. We'll put the, uh, some of the, the words on the screen as well. So Acts chapter 8, verse 26, it says this. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Go south to the road, the desert road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. And so he started out. So Philip gets a message from God. And I think the language here isn't that helpful. Um, I don't think... Angel Gabriel appeared to Philip, all in white, with the headdress and the wings, and stood in front of him and said, Philip, go south on the desert road. I don't think the inference is that from Scripture. And sometimes it's helpful because sometimes we think, well, if an angel told me to do something, I would definitely do it. If an angel appeared in your living room this afternoon and told you to do something, you'd probably respond, wouldn't you? Or just check how, how many Baileys you'd had after dinner. You'd, 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 you'd decide... You decide, she doesn't drink Baileys normally, <laughs> for the benefit of the tape. Um, so, if an angel appeared, most people say, I, I don't have any problem responding to God if God tells me to do something. The issue is, how do I know? How do I know if God said? So, we read things like this and think, well, obviously, an, a whopping angel appeared in front of Philip and spoke to him, and clearly he was going to respond. But, when angels appear to people in Scripture, they normally fall down as if dead. That's what you find over and over again, whether it's shepherds, whether it's people in the Old Testament. When angelic beings appear, they're so terrifying and so overwhelming, people normally fall on their faces and try and get away because of the terror of the experience of that. Philip doesn't do that. There's no falling down as if dead. There's no, there's no sort of 
he just has this message. And I think God gave him a nudge in his spirit and said, go south to the desert road. And I think God is nudging our spirits all the time. Angelically, supernaturally, by his spirit, he's giving us little nudges. And sometimes they come in the form of uh, maybe a dream or an impression or a word. Sometimes they come through a verse that jumps out at us from scripture. Sometimes it's through the, the counsel of a friend or being part of church community. It can come in all sorts of different ways. But these spiritual nudges come to us. And the, and the question is, are we going to respond to them? Are we going to respond to those little leadings of the Lord? Philip hears God. We don't know how he hears God. But he hears God and he decides it is God. And he starts out. He starts out, he starts out to this desert road that leads down from Jerusalem to Gaza. Now, if I was Philip and you were Philip and God said to you, go south to the desert road, what's the first question on your lips? Why? Exactly. Why? Why go to the desert road, God? That sounds so appealing, doesn't it? The desert road would have sounded better, I think. But the desert road, why go to this place of barrenness, this place of, you know, why go south to the desert road? That's the first question on my lips and probably the first question on Philip's lips. But the key thing is here is that Philip starts out. Stories need starts. Yeah? You don't get a story without a start. And one of the key things I think about growing in responding to the Holy Spirit is starting out, is choosing to make a start. Because without a start, a story simply doesn't happen. Philip has no idea why God is sending him down south to this desert road at this point. He has no idea why God is saying this. But as Jake said last week, obedience is about choice. Even when we don't fully understand or fully want to respond to what God's saying to us, it's that choice and action that we make to respond to God. And sometimes God will say to you, go to the desert road. And you've got no idea why he's saying it. He's sending you to a place or a situation that doesn't seem to have a lot of life on it, that doesn't seem to have, it doesn't seem to have a purpose or an appeal. But the question is, are you prepared, am I prepared, to start out? Because if we don't start out, we never discover the story. We never discover what God has planned for us. So Philip starts out, and let's continue and see what happens. He starts out, on his way he meets an Ethiopian eunuch, an important official in charge of all the treasury of the Kandake, which means Queen of the Ethiopians. This man was a very important man, an official, travelling probably with attendants and other people, in probably like a, a caravan train. And uh, he was an important official to the Queen of the Ethiopians. And he says this man had gone to Jerusalem to worship, and on his way home was sitting in his chariot reading the book of Isaiah, the prophet. So, this is what's happening. Philip is setting out from Samaria. This Ethiopian is heading home from Jerusalem. What's going to happen? They're going to intersect. There's going to be this convergence of these two people that's going to lead to a gospel opportunity. I think God is all about this. Launching you and I into places and spaces where we'll converge with other people's lives. 
Because everyone's in motion, aren't they? Everyone's in motion. We get this idea that we, we'll, we'll go and meet somebody who's in a static place, and we're in a static place, but everyone's in motion. Everyone's moving. And God's very good at, at plotting a trajectory that will put you into the right place and space to meet somebody for a gospel opportunity. And God sends Philip south on the desert road to converge with the Ethiopian who's heading home, the long, long journey home from Jerusalem, and there's a convergence on this road. They intersect with each other. God loves this man so much that he sends Philip to meet him on this desert road. Philip has no idea this is going to happen when he starts out. He doesn't know who he's going to meet. He doesn't know why he's going. But he knew that God was giving him a nudge, and he responded. See, our humanity will always crave answers to the whys, won't it? God says something, why? Why should I do that? Why should I respond? Why should I go there? You know it yourself when God has spoken to you. One of the first questions is why? Why should I do that? Why should I respond in that way? What's the end of the story? We all want our whys answered before we start out. When God began to speak to Keely and I back in 2014, we wanted all our whys answered about why God was sending us from Birmingham to somewhere else. We didn't know where he was sending us. We hadn't even heard of Riverside Church. Yet down here, you were preparing to receive new leaders. You were doing work down here and preparation and prayer. And your story and our story, God plotted to converge. And that's what happened. There was a conversion that took place. Both parties responded to the leading of the Spirit. Both parties were walking their journey, which produced a convergence of new gospel opportunity. If you think about your own experience, you'll, you'll see this convergence principle time and time again in your own lives. The key thing out is, is, guys, is that starting out always starts the stories. We have to start out in that initial response to the Holy Spirit. So back to our story. Philip is sent to meet this man, this Ethiopian. This man is a, a spiritual seeker. He's made the journey from Ethiopia up over many weeks to go to Jerusalem. He's a spiritual seeker. He wants to encounter the God of the Jews and worship. He's gone up to Jerusalem to do that. But when he got there, he would have found problems. He would have found that because he was a non-Jew, he was a Gentile, he wouldn't have been allowed into the temple in a part. He would only have been allowed into the outer courts, the court of the Gentiles, where all the non-Jews could come and worship. This is the place where Jesus overturned the tables and the money changed because the place that was supposed to be the place where non-Jews could worship and access God was just full of other things. And so there was a space there where he could go and the spiritual seeker could connect with God. But there was a problem. And that problem was he was a eunuch. He was a eunuch. We don't know why he was a eunuch. He's often people who served in the courts of officials were made eunuchs. And this man was a eunuch. And that created a further problem for him because the, the, the Torah, the, the old Jewish law said a man in this condition could not even enter the outer courts of the temple. Deuteronomy 23 no one who has been emasculated by cutting or crushing may enter the assembly of the Lord. So he would have got to Jerusalem and wouldn't have even been allowed into the court of the Gentiles. 
And this point, my heart begins to break for this man because he's journeyed as a spiritual seeker over many weeks to try and have a spiritual encounter and he's turned away by the law. But undeterred, he seems to have chosen to go and buy a copy of Isaiah. Now, he couldn't have gone to Waterstones and just picked one off the shelf. (laughs) These manuscripts were hand-copied and incredibly valuable. So he would invest it deeply in his spiritual journey to try and discover more about God. So he buys a copy of Isaiah, in which he hopes to find the God of the Jews. And travelling home, this is what he's now reading. He's trying to figure out more about God by reading Isaiah. And that's where Philip encounters him. The religious authorities at the temple would have thought they were doing a great job keeping this man away, wouldn't they? Because they were fulfilling their duties, they were fulfilling their religious obligations, they were bringing to bear the Old Testament law of God. But the truth is that God loves this man so much that he launches Philip like a heat-seeking missile from Samaria to meet him. We sang this morning, your goodness is running after, it's running after me. Philip ends up jogging alongside the chariot. He's the first Christian jogger recorded. (laughs) He ends up jogging alongside the chariot of the Ethiopian because God says, get close. So you can imagine him jogging alongside the chariot. Hi, don't mind me, this is my normal desert road. Do about 100 miles and come back, no problem. Looking really natural. So, uh, so what are you reading? Oh, Isaiah. Do you understand it? No. Let me explain it to you. Philip risks looking like an absolute idiot to get close to this man. And again, it just speaks to me of God's great love. God's great love, to send someone like Philip to take the gospel to the Ethiopian seeker, the man who's been turned away by the religion and the regulation present in Jerusalem. God says, no, I'm going to send someone to carry my love to this man. And Philip gets launched, launched like this kind of love missile from Samaria in obedience down to the desert road to encounter this Ethiopian. And what this story tells me is that God wants outsiders in. God wants outsiders in. And he will send insiders out to get them. God wants people who are excluded on the margins, on the fringe. He wants to radically bring them in and include them into his family. And he will launch you and I as insiders out to take the love of God to them. And he will create these spiritual convergences. He will create these gospel opportunities where you and I go and we go in obedience with maybe a very small amount of starting out information and we'll converge into the life of somebody else. See, where the temple had failed, the gospel wasn't going to fail. Where the temple had turned away, Jesus wasn't going to turn away. This man was genuinely seeking the heart of God. And God had watched the whole thing unfold. And he said, this man, I'm going to run after him. I'm going to literally run after him. 
And Philip runs up and begins to unpack the gospel message. Everyone can come. No one is barred. Ethnicity, gender, physicality, background, nothing is a barrier anymore to the love of Christ. The temple with its religious regulations and geography have been superseded. We talked about that way back at the start of this series. Jesus and the woman at the well. A new day is coming when people won't worship there. They'll worship in spirit and truth. Because these are the worshippers the Father seeks. And God looks at this man and sees a genuine heart of seeking and launches Philip to meet him. And God wants to do the same with you and I. He wants the outsiders in. And he's going to launch you and I, the insiders, to go and get them. To convey the love of Christ. To convey the good news of the gospel. That all are welcome. All can come. As a free gift on offer. Think of how many people have tried and failed, just like the Ethiopian eunuch, to connect with church. Think of how many people have been hurt and excluded and damaged in trying to connect with the love of God, just like this Ethiopian did. And God's heart breaks for those people. But he will send us out to bring them in, just as he did with Philip. He will send us to carry the love and acceptance of Christ to those people. Mahatma Gandhi, uh, even though he was a practicing Hindu, he was intrigued by Christianity. And as he read the Gospels, he was impressed by Jesus, Jesus who the Christians worshipped and followed. And he wanted to know more about Jesus. Uh, And he wanted to know more about Christians. So one Sunday morning, Gandhi decided to go to a, a church in Calcutta, And as he tried to enter the building, he was stopped by the stewards on the door. And the usher said to him he wasn't welcome and he wouldn't be permitted to enter the church because he wasn't a high caste Indian and the church was basically for white people only. Uh, He was turned away. He was neither of high caste, he was neither white. Two things, just like the Ethiopian eunuch, he had no control over. But he was turned away by the usher's on the door of that church in Calcutta. And because of that rejection, Mahatma Gandhi never, ever went back to look at Christianity again. He said, I'd be a Christian if it were not for the Christians. (laughs) He was turned off by the sin of segregation and exclusion. And you can, just the pain of that, a man of incredible influence and impact, a genuine spiritual seeker, stopped on that journey by that sin of segregation. You see, guys, the church of Jesus is called to be radically inclusive and radically welcoming. If we're to really model the message of Jesus Christ, we're not called to be judge and jury on people's lives. We're not called to be gatekeepers on the love of God. We're called to be people who are sent to bring the outsiders in so they can experience God's love and God's forgiveness and God's acceptance. And where the dogma of the temple in Jerusalem failed the Ethiopian, the gospel message won him as Philip was prepared to go. 
There's Philip. He goes and jogs next to the chariot. Philip, God gives Philip the next little part of the story. Go south to the desert road. Now you're there. Get up close to that man in the chariot. The spirit. There's a spirit this time, notice. It doesn't say an angel. It says the spirit nudged Philip to get up close to that man. The message is all about proximity, guys. We have to get close to people to share God's love with them. And so he risks looking like a... Well, he risks I've probably risk getting arrested, getting, getting beaten up, all sorts of things. He risks running alongside a, an official's chariot just so he can overhear what the man is saying. And Philip says to him, do you understand what you're reading? And the man, the man doesn't. And so Philip begins to unpack the scriptures for him and tell him the good news of Jesus. I just want to play a very quick clip from a video by N.T. Wright today just talking about what is the good news of Jesus. I'm going to put this whole video on the web site with this talk. So it's about 40 minutes long. It's a great video. You can watch all of it. But just going to watch a few minutes on N.T. Wright talking about the good news of Jesus. I remember a long time ago now in the 1970s when we had one of those NIAC conferences and John Stott gave the summary speech and he said, people are always saying, what is the irreducible minimum gospel? And I remember him saying, I don't want an irreducible minimum gospel, I want the whole gospel. And it was kind of a wonderful rhetorical flourish. Now, of course, we all know that there are times uh, somebody sitting on a railway train next to you suddenly says, is that book reading? you're reading about God? Can you tell me about God or Jesus or something? And you've got five minutes before the next stop, what do you say? We've all been in situations like that, and basically you say a quick prayer and you go for it. But at the centre of it must be Jesus himself. Not a theory, not uh, an, an idea, but actually something about this person, because, and I was just talking to a friend yesterday, who, who said, um, you know, here is this wonderful house, which is the Christian faith. Uh, what's the front door? Where do people come and go? And the answer is, it, it is Jesus himself. That take Jesus away, and you're left with a bunch of very odd theories which may or may not make sense to people but the the figure of Jesus himself always has been central and utterly compelling Um, and of course it's to do with who he was it's to do with the meaning of his death it's to do with his resurrection particularly but it's to do with the fact that in and through Jesus the living God um, opened the great door of his new world which he's been uh, intending to make and invited us all to come through it with him and somehow to say that, and you can contextualise that every which way you like for the person who maybe uh, only has two minutes to live or only two minutes beside you on the train, something about Jesus, something about what God did through him, particularly through his death and resurrection, those are the things, however you're going to stitch it together, which want to be in that irreducible minimum. Great little video. You can watch the whole thing uh, on the website. But um, that sense of, of NT saying that Jesus is the front door to the house of God. I love that analogy, that Jesus is now the front door. Not the, not the temple regulation, not the geography. Everyone can come in. The great invitation is there through Jesus. And the good news for, the Jesus, for, for, for the Ethiopian that Philip shares is that this is the good news. He's gone up to Jerusalem. He's been turned away because of who he is. And what he is, but Philip runs up alongside the chariot and says, let me explain the God that you're reading about in Isaiah. Let me explain. And he starts, he starts there and he tells him about the good news of Jesus. We're called to go to where the people are and to start where they are and then begin to 
tell them the good news about Jesus. And I'd love it if you guys would practice just, just how you're going to convey the good news to people. Watch Maybe watch N.T. Wright's video and get a few pointers from that. But how would you convey the good news to someone? How would you tell them the good news of Jesus? Would you tell them about church? Would you tell them what time our services are? <laughs> would you tell them we serve great coffee? Or would you tell them something more about the person of Jesus Christ and that radical gift that God gives that welcomes everybody in, regardless of background or situation or what they've done or where they've been? Because that invitation is for everyone. That's what this story is showing. He sends Philip all the way down to meet him and take the gospel message, the love of God. And the only criteria is that we receive that gift into our lives. Well, the Ethiopian clearly receives this good news because as we read on, he wants to get baptised. He says, look, some water's here. Can anyone stand in the way of me getting baptised? And again, we've got much to learn here because often we think you get baptised when you're all sorted. You've been 10 years in church and you know all the bits and pieces, you know all the regulation, you've got your life straightened out, and now you can get baptised because you're good enough. This story completely puts that on its head, doesn't it? How long has this guy known Jesus? Hours? Minutes? We don't know. But we do know he wants to get baptised. He's had a genuine encounter with the Holy Spirit. Who can stand in my way, he says. I want to get baptised. Baptism is a symbol, an outward symbol of an inward work. And so he knows that he's encountered God. He knows he's encountered Jesus Christ. And he wants baptism to symbolise that. And that's all he ever is. And so they get down to the water and Philip baptises him. And the man goes on his way rejoicing. Isn't that the gospel? (laughs) That people genuinely encounter Christ and they go on their way rejoicing because there's been a genuine encounter Discipleship is great, but genuine encounters with God are so important because it's the genuine encounter that brings the change. We can't disciple people into joy. Only God can do that by the work of his spirit. So I'd encourage you, if you've never had a genuine encounter with God, if you've been coming along to church for a while, if you've been going through the motions, you need a genuine encounter with Christ so you can live in joy. You can live in a place of transformation. There wasn't any for this guy. There wasn't any, you need to become a better Christian and then get baptised. It was an outward working of what had happened internally for him. God had gone beyond the restrictions of Jerusalem, gone beyond the restrictions of the temple, sent Philip to meet him. The gospel message was carried there in love. He received it, he got baptised, and he went on his way rejoicing and that's a mark of what God wants for the kingdom he wants to send the insiders out to go and bring the outsiders in so they can experience God's love and God's heart and you might be thinking about somebody right now who's on the outside you might be thinking about somebody right now who's been turned off by church because of an experience or or perhaps they came to the door just like Gandhi did and were turned away by religion or dogma or restriction Is God sending you to them with a new message of love and hope and acceptance? We have to start out to get the stories. That's what this passage tells us. Philip starts out. 
we start out to get the story. Even if we don't know where the end is, even if we don't know what the destination is, we start out. And as we start out, God begins to reveal. We can be confident that he's got the other part taken care of. We don't need to have the 360 picture to start out. As we respond, God will create these gospel opportunities, these intersections between your life and someone else's life. Right now, someone is journeying and God is sending you to intersect with them, to meet with them, to bring God's good news. Are you going to let God adjust your trajectory so he can fire you into someone else's story? Philip was happily planting a church in Samaria. That's what he was doing there. The gospel was having great effect. The city was in great joy. He wasn't looking for another job, another opportunity. But God said, I'm going to send you somewhere because I love a man so much that I'm going to send you somewhere to take God's love to him. After this story, Philip didn't go back to Samaria. He went on to another place as he was led by the Spirit of God. So I'd love it if we could all take a little part of Philip away with us today and say, hey, God, can, can, you, can you launch me into someone else's story? Can you help me start out in a way that's going to bring an outsider into your love and into your care? Let's stand together. So I'll put on the screen now, starting out starts the story. Starting out starts the story. I'm just going to pray in these last few minutes for boldness this morning for us. That we could just respond as God leads, those little nudges. Because if we don't start out, we don't get the stories. They don't, they don't happen. But as we respond to the small piece that God gives us, we step into a story that can bring a massive change. Imagine this Ethiopian going back to his queen, carrying the love of God. Imagine the impact of this official carrying the gospel to the place where he served. Imagine the ripple effect of his story, because Philip was obedient to go to the desert road. And you don't know the impact of your life, and how big that's going to be on somebody else's life. That little tiny choice of obedience that you make can have a huge kingdom impact. You can change, transform nations, cities, towns, areas, because of the choice that you make. So far, we just want to pray this morning for boldness. We just, we love this story. We love the fact that Philip was just an ordinary guy. He was full of the spirit and he was full of wisdom. And Lord, you can give us your spirit and we can grow in wisdom. God, nothing here disqualifies us from being the sort of person that Philip was. Lord, help us to be kingdom agents. Help, help us this week to be sent by you to converge in other people's lives. God, those who are excluded, those who are on the fringe, those who are feeling rejected, God, send us to them, Lord, that we may bring them into your love, into your family. Lord, this Ethiopian represents so many different people groups that we want to see your love reach. And so we pray this morning, God, you would use us. And we have hearts open to respond to you.
We just had this little image of God kind of fitting little switches to us this morning in our hearts that he wanted to flick. So if, that's, if you want that, Lord, say, do that for me. Put that little switch in me that when it's flicked, I'll respond. I'll, I'll know it's you. I'll, I'll get that real sense of leading. And even if I don't fully understand, I'll, I'll respond. I'll start out. So God, would you put that in us this morning? That ability to choose you, even when it kind of goes against what we think is right, or we can't see the end and we don't have our wise answered, would you help us to respond to you in boldness? Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Bless you, Lord. Just a lovely sense of the Lord here. Just allow him to speak to you, to minister to you. You might be feeling like someone who's on the outside that God wants to bring in. I want to encourage you today that God's love and invitation is for you today. God is running after you. He does love you that much. You might have been brought here by a friend. You might have been brought here by a circumstance. But it's all part of God's love for you. So um, if you want to chat to someone afterwards, come and say hi, chat in the cafe. But yeah, be assured that God loves you and he is pursuing you because he loves you. Not because he wants to punish you or exclude you or make you religious. (laughs) He's pursuing you just as he pursued that Ethiopian because he loves you. So God, would you see in our hearts what you've done today? In your precious name, amen. God bless you guys. If you need some prayer, please don't leave without getting some. And we look forward to seeing you later for ministry training if you're coming through. God bless. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to contact us about this talk, to hear more or find out about Riverside Vineyard Church Whitstable, then visit our website at riversideuk.org. Also, you can contact us through our Facebook page or tweet us at Whit Riverside.